Hi, and I hope you're keeping well. I just wanted to give you a bit of background to what I plan to do over the next few weeks, months. It's a bit of an understatement to say that 2020 has been a bit of an odd year. I imagine in years to come, people who are little children now will tell their grandchildren about 2020, and I hope for their sake it feels as weird and alien to their grandchildren as, say, life during the Blitz feels to me. But often during dark, difficult times, it can make for good humour. In the last six months, I've had loads of jokey memes and pictures sent to me. Like this one that I saw this week. If 2020 were a scented candle and then a picture of some portable toilets on fire to give you a sense of what it would smell like. Others that have amused me have been the one where Doc Brown, the inventor of the time machine in Back to the Future, tells the young Marty McFly, Marty, whatever you do, don't go back to 2020. Or about this one, how for a long time it just kind of felt like I was turning on the news. And it does feel more like when I'm turning on the Today programme each day, there's a certain amount of, oh, what now? Or I quite like this one. You could feel justified in wanting to have the restart option for 2020, like the meme suggests. And I notice ITV are advertising their new season schedules with the title 2020 Reboot. And more than a few people have suggested to me that they would just quite like just to cut straight to Christmas and write off the rest of this year. I had a laugh when I looked at my planned preaching schedule for the latter part of this year and saw that right now I was planning to start a series on Revelation. And in some ways, after the last six months, that might have felt quite appropriate. But somehow it just didn't feel quite right for this season when we start to think about moving towards public worship and hybrid services of some people online, some people at the church, whatever. I felt we could do with some time just looking at Jesus. In the year we have had, I thought we could do with a good dose of good news. And that's what I want to do over the next little while. We're going to work our way through the story of Jesus as we find it in the gospel or good news of Jesus and recorded by Mark. Mark begins in quite a fascinating way. The beginning of the gospel or good news of or concerning Jesus Christ, the Son of God. What's so interesting about that? Well, to explain it, I need to tell you about someone else. Someone you will have heard of. Caesar Augustus. You know, the one who every Christmas issues a decree that all the world should be taxed and forces Joseph and his pregnant fiance Mary to make a long trek from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Caesar Augustus was the sole leader of the Roman Empire for around 40 years from 27 BC to 14 AD. He, perhaps more than any other person, was responsible for turning Rome into the greatest and most famous empire their world had known. 
When he took over, Rome was a fairly rocky republic. But under his rule, it became the empire that we think of today when we think of the Roman Empire at its height. You might say he was good, but he knew it. He wasn't one for false modesty. An inscription found on a government building in Priene in modern-day Turkey from around 6 BC offers this self-assessment. Divine Augustus Caesar, Son of God, Imperator of land and sea, Saviour of the whole world, has brought you peace. Roman emperors had a particular word they used for these kind of announcements, where they declared news of a great victory or a cause for celebration. That word was evangelion. It's a word which has actually survived right down into the present day, because it translates as gospel. But as we turn to the opening words of Mark, that the opening line of that inscription about Caesar Augustus is quite telling. The birthday of Augustus has been for the whole world the beginning of the angelion or gospel concerning him. And early in the second half of the first century, probably mid-60s, right in the heart of the empire, most likely in Rome itself, a man called Mark puts pen to papyrus and starts to write. And as he does so, he opens with the words, the beginning of the Evangelion, the gospel, the good news concerning Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's not an accident. Mark is deliberately ripping off Roman rhetoric. Mark's saying, they talk about good news. I'll show you what good news really looks like. They talk up their great victories. This is what God's victory looks like. They talk about bringing peace. Well, let me show you another great king who really brings peace. But he's not talking about a Roman emperor. He's not talking about a military leader. This Jesus Christ whom he's talking about, it couldn't be more different from Caesar Augustus. He not only lived in a relatively obscure backwater of the empire, as we read on in the story, we'll find he's crucified by the Romans, a punishment normally reserved for the worst of criminals. And the chances are these were no ordinary times. Mark is a known associate of two key figures in the movement which bears Jesus' name, Peter and Paul. And both of them have been recently executed for their faith. And in fact, if relatively early church tradition is to be believed, what we're about to focus on over the next little while is the story of Jesus as told by Peter, probably the closest disciple Jesus had during his life. Mark was part of the church since its very beginning. The Jerusalem church met in his house. But with the possible exception of one event towards the end, he wasn't actually an eyewitness to the events he describes. Many believe that after Peter's death, Mark brought together the contents of Peter's preaching to preserve it. And certainly there are good reasons to think that someone, else, someone close to the events did describe what's involved here. 
Although the material Mark includes is more limited than, say, Matthew or Luke, often he adds little details which give the sense of someone who was actually there. And although it's the shortest of our four Gospels, you could argue it's the most important. Not only does it potentially come from the closest of eyewitnesses, it's the most early and it's most likely the earliest of our four Gospels, the earliest surviving account we have of Jesus. And there's also good reason to believe that both Matthew and Luke use it as a key source for their Gospels. And the 20th century writer William Barclay even went as far to say that Mark could be the most important book in the world. So this is a book written in the heart of the empire to a community of people who are going through a tough times at the hands of the empire. It's a story which climaxes in the finder of that community being killed by that empire, written at a time when two of their key figures have been killed by that empire. And yet he blatantly steals from the rhetoric of victory from, that, from their persecutors to describe what he's writing here. In a sense, it's quite a subversive book. And much of what we will read and encounter will be very familiar to many of you, especially if you've been around the faith for a long time. But the great thing about Jesus is that there is always more to explore. My prayer is that we will all see something afresh or new as we take a walk through the good news concerning Jesus as told by Mark. And I pray that we discover this gospel of Jesus is truly evangelion, or good news. Grace and peace.